In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, uh, the gospel lesson today is quite simple. It is that Jesus healed 10 lepers who cried out for mercy, and only one of them returned to give thanks. Now, usually I make a number of points in a sermon or go through the text verse by verse or something like this. Uh, But for this sermon today, I'm just going to draw out one main point, and that is this, that Christians thank God. And I know that's a bit obvious, but there is a lot that needs to be said about this. People who have true saving faith Give thanks to God. That is the most basic, visible mark of the Christian. That is how you find the Christian. You can identify who is and who is not a Christian by whether he gives thanks, whether he gives thanks to God or not. Now we know this because in in verse fifteen it says, "Then one of them, one of the there was ten, nine went their way. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice." And fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, if we were there, uh, we would see just the external thing of a man uh, going on his way who's healed of leprosy, turns around and runs and throws his feet, uh, himself at the feet of Jesus and starts thanking God. Uh, but Jesus says to this man specifically, he says, your faith has saved you. And so you see what's going on here. Uh, Jesus sees something that we can't see. We cannot see other people's hearts, but Jesus can. And so he can, what Jesus can do is look directly into your hearts and see whether you have faith or you don't. You have faith, you don't, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, what, the, what Jesus does is he sees this man and he sees faith in his heart. So Jesus is seeing an internal thing that we ourselves can't see, but we see the external thing which is that the man gives thanks to God. And although we can't see into people's hearts to see if they have faith, we can see the external mark that is the fruit of faith, that is, they give thanks to God. Now, Christians thank God, and that means the opposite is true. Those who don't thank God are not then Christians. It is that simple. Romans 1 talks about those who rebel against the God who created them. And that one of the external marks, that the, the way that the heathen is identified, says in Romans 1.21, it says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Now, this is a very, very important lesson from the text. <clears throat> Jesus doesn't tell the man your gratitude has saved you, or uh, your praise and sincerity has saved you, as if the thing we need to do to be saved is just to be more thankful or more sincere, more uh, uh, gracious, or whatever this might be. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And that is because we're saved by grace through faith alone, as you know, and not by works. And yet, even though we're saved by grace through faith alone, faith is never alone. That means good works follow faith, okay? Uh, Paul calls these good works uh, fruits of faith or fruits of the Spirit, as you heard. And so just like a tree bears fruit, so too faith produces 
good works. And when faith is dead, then there are no good works that follow. Faith produces gratitude. Now, with all this being said, I'm setting this up to clear up this misconception that I've heard a good amount of pastors and Christians and teachers say something like this. They'll say something like, faith will just uh, produce good works in us that they'll happen naturally in a sense of without our effort, without trying or striving, and it'll just appear instinctively. It'll just happen. It'll just be there. Uh, So in this idea, one day you're unthankful and ungrateful for everything. And then the next day, all of a sudden you're thankful. You're, you're, you have gratitude. Uh, Or you're one day you're impatient and the next day you're all of a sudden patient. Or one day you're able to, you're, you're suffering and can't endure anything. And then the next day you're just, it's all gone. Now, the idea behind this is that if good works are, uh, if they take a lot of thinking or planning or effort or discipline on my part, then I'm forcing it and it's not really a good work. That's the idea there. Uh, and according to this idea, good work should be effortless. It should happen without you knowing, in fact, without even remembering, just like your hair grows from day to day um, without thinking about it. So, too, your good works will just grow day to day without thinking about it. But that is not how the scriptures speak. The Bible says good works are like fruit in a certain way, but not in every way. Um, faith is the root of the tree, but the way that the Holy Spirit produces these good works is by instilling a new affection or a new desire, a new ability in your heart. And so uh, you're passive when it comes to your faith, you're passive when it comes to your conversion, um, but you are active when it comes to your good works, okay? Um, The Holy Spirit is the main worker in you, but you cooperate, with the Holy Spirit in good works. You don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your conversion or when you, when you have faith in your salvation. You don't cooperate with God in that, but you do cooperate with God in your good works. Uh, that means you have to put an effort into doing good works. And that is how the Bible speaks. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. How can you grow weary of something unless you're actually putting in the effort? Uh, Titus chapter 2 says, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself uh, for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. To be zealous means to be eager and committed and impassioned. Now, how can you be zealous to do something unless you are actually having a part in it, right? You, you just read the entire Bible. You'll find that these exhortations throughout the scriptures uh, talk about love your neighbor, honor, uh, and be patient, forgive, and so on. And all of these commands are directed to Christians. So God is telling you to do something that now that through faith you are able to do in him. Now, the entire reason I'm saying all of this is to bolster this down in your mind is this point. Don't just sit back 
and wait for thanksgiving and gratitude to all of a sudden appear. Don't just wait for your heart to just flip a switch and be thankful. Don't just come to church and expect yourself to be automatically a more appreciative person without thinking or striving or just by accident. Don't, and that means don't just come to church and expect that all of your ingratitude or selfishness or your worry or your conceit or your anger or envy or unfaithfulness or disappointment or gossipy mouth to just all of a sudden naturally go away without any effort to disappear from one day to the next. Because this will require thinking and planning and effort and discipline on your part. That you have to strive for good works. Now, when it comes to being a more thankful person, which you ought to be, I have two pieces of practical advice. And the first, they're both quite simple, so it's not groundbreaking or anything, but the first is this, stop complaining. That is it. You need to stop complaining about your life, about your financial situation, about your car, about your relationships, about your spouse, your loneliness, your family, your house, the government, and so on. I'm not saying that you cannot find ways to improve these things and help. But let us be honest. Most of the time, we're not. Most of the time, we are just complaining, if we're honest with ourselves. We call it venting or letting off steam or whatever else, but call it for what it is. It is complaining. I know the world has turned complaining into some sort of virtue. Like apparently, the more you complain, the, more, the smarter you are. <laughs> I, I guess that's what the sign is. Or the more you complain, the more refined taste you have in this life. <laughs> so if you complain about coffee, you complain about food, you complain about the world, that you must know better than everybody else because you're complaining. So the world kind of sees this as, as the chief virtue. But don't be fooled because the scriptures speak against it. It is a sin. It is sinful to whine. It is sinful to moan and murmur and grumble against God. I, in fact, at this point of the sermon, I, I realized it was just going to be too long. I was going to quote a bunch of Bible verses about grumbling here. And I realized we just don't have the time for it. Uh, just go to, uh, go to your Bible, go to the back into the concordance and just look up complaint or grumble, uh, grumbling and you will find enough verses for the month, uh, what the scriptures speak there. Uh, but I will quote this, at least this. Uh, Philippians 2.14 says this, do all things without grumbling. That should be enough, Right? Uh, if you feel dissatisfied with something, that's my first piece of advice. Bite your tongue. Keep your mouth closed. That is the first piece of advice. Now, remember, I'm saying this as a sinner too. I'm saying this as one who needs to hear this as much as you do. One who is at fault for complaining just as much as the next person. Now, the second thing is this though. Uh, the, the second piece of advice is pray. When you feel like complaining, close your mouth and pray instead. 
And then start your prayer out by thanking God for something. Thank him for what he's done. Thank him for baptizing you, for forgiving you, for saving you from burning in hell forever. Thank him for promising to wipe away your tears and bringing you into his kingdom forever. Thank him for giving you a family, no matter how difficult they might be, food, no matter how it tastes, water and clothing and air and your eyes and ears and reason and all your senses. Thank God for that. Let that be the first thing you do is thank God when you pray. If you feel like complaining, you, you have to put an effort into this. When you feel like complaining, then you immediately combat that with thankfulness and you start praying to God, thanking him for what he's given to you. And when you do this, I guarantee you that your heart will soften when you start to take note of how good God has been to you. I want to be clear here that this is not some sort of uh, practical uh, psychological trick or some self-help maneuver, just something that I've kind of invented. This is from the Bible. Paul himself begins his letters, no matter the situation, by thanking God. I thank God in my remembrance of you. I thank all his epistles begin that way. And if he can't see them, if he can't see the congregation in person, then he thanks God that he can remember them. He thanks God while he's in prison, he's in chains, even when he's about to die. Philippians chapter four, six says this about thankfulness and prayer. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then Colossians 3, this is the big one. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm not trying to make a law about this. Like you can't, like it's illegal to start your prayer in any other way. (laughs) But if Paul starts out his prayers by thanking God, I think it's a good idea that we do the same. Um, And that's because the problem is this, that we get so fixated on the things that we don't have that we forget about the things that we do have. We're fixated on what we don't have and we forget what we do have. And yet I can guarantee that all of you All of you have had far more blessings than trouble in this life if you're willing to believe it. That God has blessed you immeasurably more than you deserve. Remember what you said at the beginning of the sermon, or the the service. Uh, I, a poor, miserable sinner. And then you said that you are, you deserve both temporal and eternal punishment. And have you received those things? No, you have not. 
And so God is already, the fact that you're not in hell right now shows that God is treating you better than you deserve. God has blessed you immeasurably more than you deserve. Luther put it this way. He says, for every drop of misfortune, there's an entire ocean of God's blessing that outweighs it. And, and then we end up complaining and grumbling about what? In the grand scheme of things, when you look back on your life, your life, no matter how difficult it has been, has been significantly better than you deserve. Even more, when you look ahead to, uh, to the life to come, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And even right now, you should see how much God is blessing you in this very second, right now. Don't let the devil blind you to the goodness of God. The devil wants to depress you and beat you down and discourage and demoralize you. But fight against your ingratitude and repent of it. Now, look at Paul. Just take a lesson from Paul. The devil hated Paul. He brought suffering to Paul. And how did Paul respond? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. And then the devil says, uh, okay, well, I'm going to kill you and take your life. And Paul says, for me to die is gain. And then the devil says, all right, well, I'm just going to let you live this poor, miserable life. And then Paul says, for me to live is Christ. <laughs> nothing gets the man down. Nothing, that, nothing can take his joy away. No matter what the situation, he finds something to be rejoicing in. Uh, something to be thankful for and, and joyful in. And, and then it's to the point that in, uh, in Philippians 4, Paul says this. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, keep in mind this man was flogged, uh, shipwrecked, uh, beaten, and even died a martyr's death. He says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> I don't want you to think that this is unattainable, an unattainable goal, uh, as if Paul being thankful in all the time is something that can't be done. Because what's, he was flesh and blood, and what's true for him is true for you. Christ died for you, and that means that no matter what you go through, you will always have something to be thankful for. You have Jesus who is greater than any sorrow. <clears throat> no, we don't want or invite famine or sword into our lives. But if it comes, so what? what? So what if your health declines? So what if your finances dwindle? So what if you don't have the things that you have, you have been praying for and longing for your entire life in this brief life of labor? You don't need good health or lots of money or a car or a house or clothing or even food to thank and praise God. So what if your situation hasn't changed? What if your prayer isn't answered? Look, I, <clears throat> I know our country is in shambles. I know that inflation is through the roof. I know things seem more chaotic and out of control and unstable than I've ever seen in my short life. I get it. And you all see this too. 
But we don't need these things to change. We don't need them to change to praise and thank God for what he has given to us. Even if nothing gets better, even if things get worse, we have every reason to be thankful forever because we belong to Jesus and that is enough. That is plenty to thank him for. He redeemed you. God redeemed you a poor and lost and condemned creature, not with gold or silver, but with his precious and holy blood so that you may be his own. The God of heaven and earth, almighty, who created all things, thinks of you to the point of emptying himself of all life so that you would be his forever. Now, as I get ready to close, I want to say this, that for all these things, it is our duty to thank and praise God. And we're happy to do it. Just like that man, just like the Samaritan who turned around and gave thanks to God at the feet of Jesus. And we thank God all the time. We thank him in our home, before we eat, in our car, at work, and so on. But uh, do you want to know the best place to thank God? It is at the feet of Jesus. It is where Jesus is. And you do it by doing what the Samaritan did, and that is by returning. We go to where Jesus is, we find his body and his blood, and we bow before him and we thank him for what he's done for us. The world, look, the world is blessed by God uh, so much. And yet they go on with their life, never once thanking him for it. They've gone their own way. But you, dear saints, you know what, you, you know that you've been blessed. And you know exactly who blessed you and you know who to thank. And so you have stopped what you were doing and you turned around today this morning, and you came back. And you came back to the Lord who loves you and who has mercy on you and who blessed you. And you thank him. And no matter how thankless or ungrateful you have been, no matter how much you've complained in the past or even this morning, no matter how ungrateful you were when you walked in the door this very morning, Jesus gives you another reason today to rejoice and be thankful because today... Once again, he forgives every moment of ingratitude, every ounce of thanklessness, and every second of discontentment he washes away in a flood of his blood. And he heals you from your sin and has mercy on you forever. So be thankful and know that God is to be praised for all he's done. Amen. Hear the words of uh, this hymn. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.